Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Support for this podcast comes from the patrons at patreon.com slash fmlfpl. Okay, welcome to another FML Field Fireside Chat. I'm pleased to welcome for the second time Mike Goodman of CBS Sports and the Double Pivot Podcast. What's up, Mike? Hey, I believe this is the first time I am Mike Goodman of CBS Sports That's on true. the podcast, though. <laughs> second time Mike Goodman, first time CBS Sports, yeah. Formerly Stats Bomb, I think, was oh, last yeah. time I've been, you were on. Stats Bomb, I was at ESPN, I, right. I was at you know, Grantland, I wrote for the ring. I've been all over the place. But yeah, now yeah. I, I'm sort of settled at, at, at uh, CBS Sports. Nice, aka Paramount Plus, which all that of is our right. American... Paramount Plus, where you can watch all of your Champions League soccer, all yeah. of your NWSL, all yeah. of your uh, Argentinian and Brazilian. We have wow. rights coming out everywhere. Concacaf wow. stuff. I, okay, I, I've done. If, I've done my professional. If, if there was only one giant Super League that had all the best teams in the world, we could just all be on <laughs> in one place. It'd be perfect. Uh, so yeah, let's talk about the Super League. Um, come to the point. Yeah, I so. I was just saying to you before we started, you know, a year of COVID that wasn't enough. The the billionaire Bond villains that run football basically had to drop a bomb on everyone with their secret meeting of a Super League. And I feel obligated to talk about it. So <laughs> just, you know, most people listening to this podcast generally know what's going on. They follow football. They play fantasy probably if they listen to us. But What's going on? Who wants the Super League, and why sure. do they so, want it? So, so the basics are this: twelve teams from England, Spain, and, and Italy uh, announced their plans to break away and form a Super League. The Super League would basically have been a replacement for the Champions League. It would it would have played midweek between weekend games. The team said, "We want to stay in our domestic leagues, but we want this new Super League." Additionally. And what made it different from the Champions League is that these 12 teams said, okay, we are always going to be in it. We don't have to qualify for it every year. We don't have to like right. do well enough in our domestic leagues. Every year, us 12 and three other teams who we add in, so 15 teams, we're just, we are the Super League. We exist. And then there will be five other teams that qualify through whatever manner, and that's the 20-team league every year. Um, and that's a, it's a big difference from how European soccer is operated. Like, the idea that you don't have to qualify for the equivalent of a Champions League is just it's a, a total change from, from even if it's like not practically different for several of these teams, mm-hmm. it is uh, sort of theoretically, philosophically, emotionally a very different idea that you are automatically in this, this Super League. And right. so that was kind of the biggest... That's kind of the biggest breaking point. Like, there's a lot of other stuff going on here in terms of, like, who's getting money and how right. much right. and and who has control over the league and the TV rights and all right. this stuff. But the, the, the bottom line here, right, is that these 12 teams wanted to create a world where they, plus three others, were just sitting at the top right. of European soccer no matter what forever. And we saw, we saw, you know, aside from the fans, we even heard like Klopp was saying he likes a world where West Ham can make the Champions League, and Pep was saying you need the competitiveness right. to, to get in. You know, everyone kind of was against and it. And like, you know, I'll be honest, right? So because I'm an American and because I grew up with an American with American sports, yeah, I am fully comfortable with the idea that you can have effective competitive leagues, right? That don't have promotion and relegation. Right, like, right. It can work. So when, yes, so like... Clearly it can work. <laughs> right. All these managers and players are saying this, and I understand where they're coming from because it's all they've known. Yeah. But to me, the biggest issue is less that the league, that a league without, without relegation can't work, and more like what happens to everybody else. When you form right. a Super League at the top, you have 15 teams 
that thrive and everybody else is really cut off from this. Mm-hmm. So what happens to your West Ham's of right. the world when there isn't your Lester's of the world, when there is your Atalanta's, when there isn't this theoretical possibility at right. the very least of this competitiveness. And that to me is this giant issue sort of with the health of the game. Right, because it's, as, yeah, I was just going to say, as of now, I think there's a general sense that there is a ladder that can be climbed by theoretically any team, no matter how low you are in your domestic league, you could always get bought out and get good players and climb and that win. Is cer- that is yeah. certainly the story that we all tell ourselves right, about Right, that's soccer. the fairy tale that's sold. The degree to which that is true, mm. I don't know. But like I would also say that like if you're a fan of like a League One team, like a third division team, yeah. like the, the the joy that you get from that fandom, like your experience I don't really think is pinned to the hopes of right. like eventually qualifying for the Champions right. League. Right. Um But like there are other like practical implications here. Like if you ha if you have this Super League and if it goes for major TV rights, and this is what everybody wants to watch. Right. Like Everything else starts to wither on the vine. Like, mm. why is my employer paying lots of money for Champions League if Super League exists? Why is my employer paying lots of money for Serie A rights if Super League right. exists? Because people are just going to – the assumption is that people will want to watch Super League, right. will watch Super League, and will not watch any of these other leagues. So you combine that all around, and what, you, what it shows you is, like, to, like, for a very re- – to a real degree, this is, like, close to an extinction-level event for a lot of – the non super league leagues, the non super right. league teams, like it's this basically is, bad for absolutely everyone except for the teams that are automatically that, in. It's bad for much, e- yes. even the players, right? I mean, there's well wage that, suppression. So that thing. is an interesting part of this, right? Yeah. Is that a, a you know a big advertised part of the super league was we want to keep wages down to fifty five percent of revenue, which is. It is that's a high number compared to American <laughs> sports. It sounds like a ton. Like if it's, you it told is, me that and I didn't read any of the, you know, right. financial articles, I'd be like, "Oh my god, players are going to be rich." Right. It's a high number compared <laughs> yeah. to American sports, too. It is a low number compared to top-level soccer. Right. Um where where the the numbers except in the Bundesliga where they really have sort of brought costs down. Mm. Uh, but everywhere else the the wage percentage is higher than that. Again, because of like how the structure is, is of soccer is set up with buying and selling players and like right. not having if you can get relegated it makes sense to invest in a player who you can sell if you are relegated if right. you put that money into other things if you start construction of a new stadium if you you know like bolster your advertising budget right. with like commitments yeah. and you get relegated like those are not things you can adjust on the fly. Mm-hmm, Whereas, like mm-hmm. you can sell a player, so that's it is it is that structure and that tendency which pushes wages up in in world soccer in a way that it doesn't in American sports. Right. So once you have a super league, yeah, that dynamic changes because you can't get relegated. So like, right. it's not a huge deal if teams are like tied into stadium renovations and finish last in the league, right? Because those fifteen teams, they're still there. They're still getting that. The TV deal stuff. So then I guess my follow-up is, what are the obvious problems with the current systems that these teams feel the need to break away? What are the problems for the small clubs and what are the, you know, the small group of super clubs, I should say? And what are the yeah. problems for the thousands of smaller clubs? So, and, so yeah. there's, there's two or three different things going on here. One is that what the big clubs feel is mm. like, Everybody wants to watch us and not you. Right. We drive the popularity of this sport. Right. Like, you look at the explosion of popularity in America. Are like, is America teeming with Burnley fans? No, not really. They're Probably teaming not. Right, yeah. with, with United fans and Arsenal fans, even when they're not competitive, like super competitive. Mm-hmm. Like, these big teams are the ones that. You know, they, they feel like they drive the popularity of the sport. They are the engine that is, like, bringing in money. They want more of the pie for themselves right. and for everybody else to subsist on less. Right. Smaller clubs, on the other hand, look around and say, well, not really in the Premier League. The Premier League, everybody's got a pretty sweet ride Everyone's from the Premier rich. League deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but elsewhere across Europe, everybody looks around and says, 
well, not enough of the money is flowing to us right now. Mm. You know, we are getting left, even with the status quo, we are getting left behind. Solidarity payments, which is like, you know, are too left small. There's no revenue sharing. By the, the English club. teams. Well, the English teams and like the handful of big clubs. Oh, okay, general, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like <laughs> you're, you're, you know, you're perennial Champions League sides. Right, your Barcelona's, right. your Real Madrid's, your Bayern Munich's, right? Um, you know, there's no such thing as revenue sharing in any of these leagues. Like, there's nothing that keeps the worst teams pinned to the top teams in terms of economic viability. Mm-hmm. So they're looking around and saying, well, the model's kind of broken now anyway. If anything, we need more sort of egalitarian structures to reinforce what we have. And so this, this is the tension. And, and the way it has worked out is, in fact, that the Champions League announced that they were changing their structure starting right. in 2024 in a way that is more beneficial to some degree to the bigger clubs. Now, how, how is it more beneficial? Um, so what they're doing is they're switching to a, a 36-team structure with, with, a, with a, what's called a Swiss uh, style. Yeah, Swiss style right, tournament. Yeah. Right, with a Swiss tournament, which means that there are more games between big teams against each other. Right. Um, which, in theory, is supposed to bring in more revenue, generate more interest, more attention. Whether that is the case or not will remains to be seen. That is certainly what these big teams believe, and I don't think they're necessarily wrong. Um, so they have, they already sort of, like, forced through UEFA to make these changes to the Champions League to sort of yeah. make them be more prominent. Um, and then they basically decided that wasn't enough. We're going to push for the Super League. So is that just pure greed? Like, it feels like, okay, it's, if UEFA think- is pushing this through with the big clubs in mind and everyone making more money in mind, like, how corrupt are UEFA that the big teams feel like we need to completely detach ourselves from everything so they're doing, not work with them at all? You yeah, know? there's two questions. One is, like, UEFA and FIFA are... Sportocrats, right? Yeah, like there, yeah. there's not, um, there's no, there's no angels on either side of this. Here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what is going on with the big clubs? And I think this is really driven by like Florentino Perez and mm-hmm. and Agnelli, who's the 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 chairman Juventus. of Juventus. Yeah, um, is they actually say that like, look, the pandemic has destroyed our finances. Our finances were always kind of on a knife edge, and we need this money now. Mm. And a big part of the pitch that they made was actually. We're going to sell these TV rights for a lot of money for like 10, 20, 25 years. We will take a loan out right now against those TV rights through J.P. Morgan Chase mm. and put money in all of our pockets right now to plug the pandemic holes. Right. Um, so that is a major part of the selling point. Um, I think also it's important to like keep in mind that we are sort of at the end of a period of time where TV rights were going up exponentially. And now they're starting to plateau. Mm. And I think what a lot of these teams see is not like, is like, okay, the pie is not expanding anymore. And if the pie is not continuing to expand, in order for our revenues and our growth to continue to expand, we need to much more urgently figure out a way to get a bigger slice of the pie. Right. And so that's what, you know, you put all of that together right now, right? Like, Champions League about to announce their the, the change to the format. Uh, and then on top of that, a year of COVID. And then on top of that, some of these teams have been pushing it for a while anyway. And that's what gives you this sort of this weekend, this, this insane weekend where like a handful of teams say on Friday, we're going, get on board or not. By right. Sunday morning, you've got 12 teams they announce. And then insane. it doesn't get there. And by Tuesday, it's dead. It sort of Wednesday. seems like yeah. a lot of this stems from, you know, the... The battle between like what the supporters demand from the owners of their clubs and what is actually realistic financially for the clubs. Whereas like you know, supporters want okay, you always have to spend the most money in the transfer window, you always have to get the best players, we always have to be competing for the leagues and blah blah blah. And the owners are just like, We can't do that at yeah, the sustainable I mean, I rate. I think that that's true, and I do think that that's how fans react a lot. I was pleasantly surprised at the universal condemnation of this from fans. Because on some level, if you think about it, like this is not a bad deal for Spurs and Arsenal, for example, to like get Amazing to tag deal. along into this league right. and like 
their fans were having none of it. And like, yeah. I think that, that that is really like that's that's praiseworthy. Like they really, really, there really is a sense here that like going from the Champions League to that is a different animal, and we don't want mm-hmm. it. Um, right. Now, like, look, I don't think that fan opposition to this alone would have stopped it, right? Because I think what we need to remember here is that in addition to fans, this really was a, a, a sportocrat battle between FIFA and UEFA on one right. hand and these owners on the other. Right. No, not just FIFA and UEFA. FIFA and UEFA and all of the domestic, all the domestic leagues, leagues yeah. right? Like, and all of the other, like, and so, yes, it is very important that fans unanimously lined up on, on one side right. of this battle. That makes a big difference. But right. if it was like, just purely owners versus fans. I don't know that the same yeah. outcome comes out, right? It like seems it seems nice. Oh, the owners listen to the supporters, and you know we won it, the war. Right, but it's a great story to tell, and I don't. Story. And I and I I expect that that's sort of how we're all gonna like eulogize it as we right. go along. Right, but it is a more complex story than that. Yeah, but then the uh, the flip side, and more what I was trying to say is that now, like uh, uh, the funny sort of dark fallout from some of it after you know the fans won and whatever was okay now they better go spend some money in the transfer window to make up for this now they better go buy best player that is that is the real problem so that is the reason i was pleasantly surprised by the solidarity in the face of the super league because that impulse didn't show up and that impulse always shows up right like always because it is true that lots of fans just sort of think about like you know I want to go to the stadium or watch my team on TV and I want them to win. And like, I don't want things to change, but I also want them to win. And like those two like ideas are often in, you know, are often incompatible. But most of the time we don't have to think about it, right? Like most of the time we can just like focus on our team winning and not worry about everything else. Right. And you do then have exactly these impulses where it's like, well, if you want to make – if you want to make up to us the fact that you tried to do stuff to make more money, you need to spend more money. And, like, obviously that's incoherent. It's like, so backwards. It's so but, like, backwards. it is a major reason that sports were so ripe for this sort of shift in ownership that we've seen is that what fandom is is a lot of teams, like, like a lot of people who want to, like, watch their team win and have fun. Yeah. And, yeah. like, there's a reason that it is a target for, like, sports washing for like sovereign nations right yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. you know and there's a reason why like rich billionaires look at it and say you know we can make money off of this right that, right that's what fandom is that's what fandom sort of invariably leads to even for people who really self-consciously like believe that they want the quote-unquote right thing for the soccer world, don't want a Super League, all of this mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very rare that you reach a point where we're like, yes, it is worth it for my team to lose more for that to not happen. That'll, right? it'll never, it feels like it'll never cross that line, right? I mean, it, it's always it happened, like... It happened for two days. It happened, uh, yeah, it happened days, the Monday days. and yeah, the Tuesday true. after yeah, yeah. the Super League were announced. Yeah. It's the only two days of my life I've ever yeah. seen it. I don't know yeah. if I will ever see it again, but it happened for two days. Right. Yeah, and it becomes a question of what amount of greed in the sport that we love is okay and acceptable, and for how long can you know, we? It's, it's like, tough, yeah, right? Because yeah. like you look at you look at an ownership group like Fenway Sports Group who own Liverpool, right? Yeah, and you know they have by and large been great competitively for Liverpool, right? Yep. They've won their team well. They've turned that team into a bigger revenue machine so they can spend more. They spend it incredibly intelligently because they are very diligent about it. Mm-hmm. They've built this team. Like, you couldn't ask for anything more from that perspective. Absolutely. And then, you know, and then, like, years ago, they, like, flirted with raising ticket prices, got pushed back, and then, like, didn't do it. Yep. And they are reportedly one of the biggest agitators for this Super League jump, right? Like, there is no way to separate out yeah. The good parts of FSG yeah. from the bad parts. Either right. you end up creating a soccer world which is not enticing for these billionaire right. investors to come into. Right. Or you are like 
always going to be pushing back against them trying to like increase their 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 revenue edge and the value of their investment. Ah, it's complicated. <laughs> People just want to complain. Also, I think it's I mean, like part of it. Like they want that war. They want that drama. Almost. I mean, yeah. I think that there is there is a lot of of that as well. Look, I mean. It is it is the rare fan who was like, yeah, I'll be happier losing in, in a mm. better system. Um, mm. And like, I don't, I don't begrudge fans that, right? Like, that's not why they come into sport. They come into fandom to like. I mean, there yeah. are a lot of different reasons fans and, become fans. Unless but, you're, unless Jose Mourinho is your manager, I haven't <laughs> heard of a team that's like, I want to lose. Yes, that is that is. That is <laughs> but correct. that has happened at his last two clubs. <laughs> I mean, and, and like the flip side of that is, you know. If, in closed systems, it's not like owners don't exploit that, right? Like, mm. plenty of owners sell hope in, in American sports by saying, we're going to lose now to be good later. Yeah. And we're going to not spend money now, but you should like that plan because we are yeah. doing it in the service of being good later. And sometimes it's true. Smart. <laughs> right. And sometimes it's true and sometimes it's not. Yeah. But that's what they're selling. They're selling yeah. that, that hope. And, you know, in... In European sports, that hope is the pyramid, right? Like that hope is, sure, things may be bleak, but one day, look at, you know, pick your team that, that went yeah. all the way up. Right? Right. So. so talking about the promotion and relegation, I agree with you. I think that was a large part of the pushback of just like the permanence of the teams mm-hmm. in the Super League. Do you think, I mean, they're going to try again eventually. Do you think that it could have gone through, it could have succeeded if I there was, was some sort of promotion well, relegation? I, um, like was that? Yeah, that's a good question. Like, I, I mean, I think maybe I think this was close, right? Like, it I went close, to bed yeah. the Sunday night of the announcement, thinking this was going to happen. Yeah, uh, I, I had, you know, there was, re- it was sort of, there was reporting that that Bayern Munich and one other team were on the precipice of joining. Uh, and if and that P- had everyone happened, thought PSG probably right? if, eventually, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and if that happens, like you know, and then I wake up Monday morning, and the reporting, not the reporting, the statements are that like. Bayern and Dortmund and RB Leipzig have all forcefully rejected this. PSG right. forcefully rejects this, and then right. the tide turns. Right. Um, so it was close. Do I think a structure that was more open had a chance of succeeding? Probably. But I think that that's really, like, structurally, that's hard to mm-hmm. do. To me, like, I am probably more... Um, super league curious in some form than many fans, because mm-hmm. I really do think that the existing structures of domestic soccer have like large problems, like the imbalances. Well, are, what are those problems? Yeah. Go just, into that just for the, a sec. the difference between Barcelona and Real Madrid and the, the bottom of La Liga, the differences between Juventus and the bottom of Syria, much more so than in England are massive, just yeah. absolutely massive yeah. to the point where, you know, these, these teams are not competitive with each other. Um, in the Champions League, you have a, a, a structure right now that takes 32 teams, expanding to 36, that isn't close to the best 32 or 36 teams. It's like the best 12 teams. And then, like, and the then next... And then representation. Right. <laughs> and, like, that is good for the representation of those other teams. Yeah. It is not good for the competitiveness of the tournament at the beginning mm. of the tournament, right? Mm. right. Like, it is just, you know... You know, one thing that I sort of track year to year in the Champions League is how many teams from the big four leagues plus PSG advance to the knockout stages out of the the amount that could. Like, sometimes you'll have three teams from those leagues in one group and only two teams can advance. But, like, usually there is only one or two teams from that group that don't advance. This year it was none. Every single team that could possibly advance from the big leagues and PSG advanced. Right. Um, you saw you Manchester United get uh, you know knocked out because there were RB Leipzig and PSG in the PSG, but like, yeah, yeah. and and so it really isn't great for the competitiveness of of, of right. the group stages that things are structured this way. Um, and so when you have that divide, I do think you should be open to trying to figure out like how do we make that better? And like the obvious mm. answer is just like higher revenue sharing, right? Like mm. both. Via the Champions League and UEFA, like 
sending more money to small leagues, but also within leagues redistributing, you know, revenue from the richer teams to the poor teams like we do in American sports. Mm-hmm. Like you can do that and still have an open system. But like if you assume that owners will not be open to that, and let's be honest, most owners are not open to revenue It's sharing. like the floodgates are too wide open for too long right. <laughs> for them to backpedal on that. Um, then you start having to think about, okay, structurally, can we do things differently? Mm-hmm. And like it's not immediately apparent to me that you couldn't have all of the domestic leagues filter into a European league on top of right. it. Not a cup competition like the Champions League, mm-hmm. but literally – a domestic oh, league gotcha. that yeah. the best teams from the European competitions get promoted into. Right. Like, and if you did that, would that work? Maybe, but you'd need promotion and relegation. And part of what the biggest clubs, the ones that are agitating for change, really believe in is getting themselves insulated from the risk of ever getting relegated or missing a tournament in their life. Which right? is... Like, Purely because they just want to protect their investments. Absolutely, right? there's nothing like, else to that. You know, on the one hand, maybe your 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 Manchester United and your Liverpool, who are like not in the Champions League spots right now, and it's a little yeah. fluky. And you say, okay, look, the, the, it's not a huge difference. We qualify almost every year anyway. Yeah. But like, look at AC Milan, right? AC Milan are like not a Champions League team. They may qualify this year. They're on the cusp, but like, yeah. haven't been in the Champions League for years. Yeah. Spurs and Arsenal are not close to the top four right now in in england and what they are basically saying is we have a right to be present in that big competition because we are famous and that's just a different thing man it's just like different from the way it's funny that their pitch is like we are gonna have all the best teams so you get to see the best teams against the best teams every week and then they allow in like Spurs, Arsenal, like Porto was in the mix and stuff. And it's so, like, well, what's the difference between, you know, like right. City Dortmund in the quarterfinals and City versus Spurs, yep. you know? It's no, like- absolutely, that is absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. um, now, like what they will say to you is like, look, we are the teams that people want to watch. Yeah. And to a certain extent, that's true. Yeah. Um, to a certain extent. But. That's just a different thing than, than being the best teams, thing. right? Very different. And so if you're going to look at this and say, yeah, there are real imbalances in the way it works now. And we maybe want a system that, like, unites the best teams against the best teams. That, you know, like, Juventus and Liverpool are more, much more structurally similar to each other now yeah. than Juventus and Sassuolo or yeah, Liverpool yeah. and Burnley. Right. Okay, I can understand that argument, but the structures that that imply, promotion and relegation, maintained competitive risk, are not the structures that – like are precisely the structures that the owners of these teams are driving changes to avoid. So that's that's the major issue there, I think. Ah, Jeez. It's so complicated. (laughs) So, okay. So we basically covered why, who, what, where, why. So what – actually happened okay. to it how did it crash so quickly so, so spectacularly yeah, so, right, we have these 12 these 12 teams announced yeah. on sunday it looks yeah. like more are going to jump on board yeah by monday we have announcements from bayern and leipzig and dortmund and yeah. psg and then like a whole bunch of other secondary teams teams like sevilla teams like porto saying we want no part of this right we have announcements from uh FIFA and UEFA saying we will expel teams from from our competitions if they join this. Right. We have them threatening to like keep players from playing in World Cups and Euros yeah. if they play. Which so insane. The, the the legality of that is way up in the air. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think the thing to take away from this is that the the groups that were opposed to this recognized this as a giant threat, and they threw everything they had right, right, at right. it to stop right. it from happening. And then you start – you've got a game on Monday afternoon. It's a Liverpool match. Uh, tell me and about so it. And so like – yeah. right? They, the players and the coaches start getting asked these questions. You had a – actually, you had a game on Sunday where Chelsea – where Thomas Tuchel gets asked about it. Yeah. Or a pregame press conference, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, the owners haven't said anything publicly. Like right. they've, they've released like a statement and then nothing. So who gets asked? The players and the owners. And the players and the owners like, well, we – like – Similar to fans, right? They have the same perspective about yeah. it. They don't like it. And they say it pretty clearly. Yeah. Um, you know, James Milner just comes out after the Liverpool match when he's asked about it and, and says, 
uh, I don't like it. I don't want it to happen. Like, yeah, I feel like he was the, the first from from the teams involved to yes. just be like straight up matter yes. of fact, this is bad. Okay, and so now you've got real opposition to this role. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's lots of, along lots of different axes, there's a lot of different solidarity. Uh, James Henderson... Uh, Jordan Henderson, yeah. Jordan Henderson, rather, yeah. calls a calls a meeting of the team captains in right, the Premier right, League right. to like get on board opposing right, this. Right. Um, and then like so like top to bottom, every team who is not in this doesn't want to be in this. By Tuesday, you have protests outside um, Stamford Bridge where Chelsea are having the whole game, home game. And then sort of in the lead up there, Peter Cech is actually out like negotiating <laughs> with that. the fans, which is yeah. amazing. Yeah. And as this is going on, Chelsea announced that they are going to or leak. They don't make an official announcement. Yeah. They yeah. make it known. They leak that they are going to withdraw. They're they're preparing to withdraw. Which side note, I was curious what like Chelsea and Man City were about to play in the semifinals of the Champions League. I wonder yeah, like, how much that affected them pulling and out. Real Madrid. And, and, I and think Real Madrid. And Real Madrid. Yeah, right. So, uh, UEFA was threatening to kick them out. I think yeah. legally they probably wouldn't. Even if ultimately they had the legal power to do that, which is a question mark, yeah. the legal issue of whether they had the power to do that would not have been resolved by the times those the time right. those games kicked off. Right. So even though you had members of the UEFA's executive committee saying publicly we're going to do this, I think sort of in the cold light of day, yeah. probably those matches would have not gone. Not realistic, yeah. Um, but – you know, the other thing about specifically Chelsea and Manchester City, as it turns out, is like they were sort of told on Friday, we're doing this. You can either jump on board or not. And so, both of, so insane. And both of them sort of looked at it and said, well, like, if the train is leaving the station, we can't get left behind and jumped right. on board. Right. But for their own reasons, this plan is not as crucially important to their ownership as it is to other owners. Why is that? So neither Roman Abramovich at Chelsea nor the Sovereign Wealth Fund of the United Arab Emirates. I can't. <laughs> um, which owns Manchester City yeah. is um, in this for profit reasons primarily. Profits right. are nice. Making yeah. money is nice. But yeah. there are other benefits to them for owning teams. Same with PSG, right? So who didn't jump on board. Yeah. Although, yeah. The PSG are owned by Qatar and Qatar and, and, and Abu Dhabi, UAE are not um, on the best of terms as nations. So it right. gets complicated fast. And, and PSG has UEFA connections that, as right. well. They, they, right. Right. <laughs> so, yes, that is correct. They, had, so, so they have sort of chosen to ingrain themselves in the fabric of UEFA's governance of European soccer in right. ways that Manchester City's owners did not. Right, right. Um, but so for those reasons, right, like both City – and Chelsea were not invest nearly as invested in this plan going through. Right. So once you get this serious amount of blowback, right? Once you really see, not only is there opposition, but there's like unified opposition yeah. to this. Yeah. Um, they quickly made the calculation that okay, we're not gonna like that. It's not worth it for us, right? That that. Both the hurdles to it actually happening when we see how opposed everybody is to it and the pain that they can inflict along the way make it so the calculus for us is it just makes sense to you know, mea culpa and withdraw. Right. And once that cracks, right, like once you have those two teams leave, then the writing is really on the wall. And In the rest infinite of infinite money is yeah, a hell of a right? drug. <laughs> right? And that's that's exactly right. And like part of it is like, you know, as much money as pretty much all of these owners might have, Abu Dhabi has more. <laughs> Like that's just what it comes down. Yeah. Manchester United is a publicly traded company that has like a fiduciary responsibility to shareholders. Yes. United I remember it's a country. Yeah. Like it's a different a absurdly thing. rich country. Right. <laughs> so but so once once Chelsea and Chelsea sort of frame it as like both publicly and privately that they don't want all the other good work that they are committed to doing in the community right. to be overshadowed by this. Right. And to like Roman Bramovich and Chelsea's credit, for whatever else you justifiably want to say about them, 
Mm-hmm. They do invest in the community. They have mm-hmm. initiatives. They've like been really invested in funding a women's team. Like right. they've built up the the like, like geographically the stadium and the surrounding areas and right. invested in it. They've done all of these things. Whether you want to look at it cynically or not, they've done them. Yeah. And like even if you want to look at it cynically, cynically, it makes sense that they wouldn't want all of that sort of stuff overshadowed by this other thing. Totally makes sense. Right. So they make that calculation and city makes roughly a similar calculation, right? Like right. If, if, if you're the, you know, the, the ruling family in, in Abu Dhabi and your point of owning Manchester city is to get people to like you, yeah. like, right? Like you want people to root for Manchester city and have Manchester city win. And because Manchester city wins, they like the owners. And that happens to be, you know, a country um, like getting significant, Blowback yeah. from this is contrary to yeah. your efforts in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and so once they're gone, now now you're down to ten teams. Like you've got like pretty much everybody who would make up the next five in the permanent launch group. Right. It has said no. And then like you know when you look at it realistically, well, okay, if we're launching a super league, but it doesn't have PSG, Bayern Munich, Chelsea, Manchester City. What the hell is it? We are no longer the dominant force. We are like one of two competitors and that does not make any sense for our economic model. So then like, you know, there'll be another league. That's the winner of the super league versus the winner of the champions. It's like, are you kidding me? And like, this is another thing we've seen in American sports that like competitive leagues don't work. One Mm. of them either folds or gets like, you know, the AFL and the NFL be, right become the afc and the nfc under the nfl the aba folds and some teams join the nba like all all american sports this has happened right baseball too exactly so you don't you just won't have two two separate entities that are long-running healthy and successful right and like the other english teams recognize this and like they do have this premier league gravy train that they don't want to mess up right so liverpool manchester united arsenal and spurs sort of shortly thereafter pull out once that happens the Italian clubs more right. or less follow suit. Um, <laughs> there is some debate as to whether or not they have like officially withdrawn or just said like right. we recognize it's not happening. But like at that point, it's dead, and that's Tuesday night, right? Jeez. By Tuesday night, it's they announced Sunday late. By Tuesday late, forty-eight hours later, it's dead. So insane. Yeah. So it was, what? What about the German teams? Like, where were they in all this? Okay, because so they're very much not PSG, but they have their own reasons yeah, for being so against that's it. Right. Yeah. So there's there's a couple of things people point to. One is the what's called the 50, 50 plus one ownership yeah. rule, which keeps ownership decision-making to some degree in the hands of fans. Okay. And that is um, part of what was going on. It, it is certainly that ownership structure influences the German team ownership mentality in terms Mm. of their openness to doing stuff like this. Right. Mm. Um, But at the same time, there's also a different set of rules governing the Bundesliga, which would have made it legally harder for these clubs to pull out. And then like the thing to consider is that on top of this, right. Bayern Munich dominates the Bundesliga. If they don't join the group of 15 teams, the chances are they're going to qualify in one of those five spots pretty much every right. year anyway. Right. So cynically, True. the downside risk to them not joining, even if the thing gets off the ground, same for PSG, by the mm. way, yeah, is yeah. not that high. And well, I, yeah, I didn't even think of that because they also they they got to look around and see what's happening first. Right. So they can make the easy political decision of hey we're the good guys with That's right. basically no risk. That is exactly right. Yeah. And like to be like pretty clear here, PSG as it turns out become very opposed to this. Mm. Um their owner um their head ends up like now he's the head of the the club the European Club Association mm. which Agnelli had been but stepped down from right. and like ultimately becomes sort of like the right-hand man of the head of UEFA in, in sort of opposing this. But from Sunday into late Monday, the radio silence, right? They didn't release yeah. a statement. They didn't say – they didn't join, but right. they didn't say anything else one way or the other. 
So they're and, feeling it out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And what I will say, we, you know, on my podcast, on Double Pivot, we had Josh Robinson, who's a reporter for the Washington Post, yeah. uh, Washington, for the Washington Journal, on. And what he said to us, honestly, is that when Manchester City were making their decision, Manchester City looked around at who was on board and looked around at who was not on board, which included PSG, looked at that group of teams and said, those people are not our friends, and then joined. So you really do have this enmity between these two countries, countries. which plays a role in this process. It's so big. It's big. This whole yeah, thing I mean, is that's so big. There's no way around it, right? That like, like, just like the biggest parts of world politics play yeah. in this, and, and like have to. There is no, and it's like, is that right and is that good and does anyone actually want this it's just like yeah, it, I mean, it's spiraling right, is, out of control almost this yeah. is the hardest thing right is that yeah. you look at the wake of this right and like people like arsenal fans for example are legitimately very very mad at stan Kroenke, their owner yeah. they were before this and they're even more so now yeah, yeah. but you look at like what's the other option the other option is a billionaire who owns spotify right coming in and buying them and like right. is that better no, not really. I mean, maybe what you maybe you get a better Kroenke, right? Right. Maybe, right. but like a better Kroenke is FSG who own Liverpool, right? And who they were the like Super yeah. gung ho about a Super League. So, like, how you get from here to a world where this kind of these kinds of pressures aren't leading in this direction right. is really hard. Right. But the ideal ownership for what from the supporters' perspective just doesn't exist. Like there's no right, there's no yeah billionaire so, good guy. I mean, guy. look, Roman, Roman uh, Abramovich, Abramovich is yeah. pretty freaking close, right? Yeah, that, I guess that's what everyone kind of wants. But what has happened is, even if they don't admit it, you know, it used it used to be that the clubs were locally big, and you would right. have sort of local businessmen mm-hmm. run them for bragging rights basically yeah. and be willing to lose various amounts of money to do that right there were yeah, like josh things. said on your podcast they, right. they didn't even take salaries until the 80s which now, is look, there were, there, were, there were bad things about that model i, I, I want to be clear that like you don't want to like super romanticize the past mm-hmm. but the bad things about those models that model there are different bad things than bad things about right. the model we have currently. Right. And so once this becomes a big business, and the reason we had Josh on is he wrote a great book about the founding of the Premier League. Yeah, which I is need sort to of, read that. I need to yeah, read that. Um, it's called The Club. Um, and, you know, that, that moment when all of a sudden this becomes big business, now the big clubs are just too big to be run by a guy who's happy to own them and lose money for them because people yeah. can't lose that much money. Yeah. Um, and it's like there are not very many Roman Abramoviches in the world. Right. Um, and so like the values of these, you know, of these clubs in the billions of dollars is like, well, yeah, you're looking at sovereign wealth funds, right? Like that's right. you're looking at sovereign wealth funds and hedge fund investors. And like those are not the groups that are going to lead you away from this path. Right. Yeah. You guys brought that up, right? Those. Those valuations of the clubs at this point are like almost made up numbers. It's like, yeah, I mean, they're made up, right? Like, they it's like when in- Messi gets rumored around every summer, and it's like, well, no one can pay his wages except Manchester City. Well, so, now we have we have two teams that are you know sort of reliably reported to be in the in the group. It's Manchester right. City and it's PSG, the two teams owned by countries. So all of these rumors are ridiculous because it's just not even feasible. Yeah, it's just um, yeah. So like you know, the answer in a lot of ways is there was so much uproar yeah. that I don't think you're going to see a super league of that variety tried again for a while, but. It does seem possible that just sort of like slowly and gradually the Champions League will become more exclusive and more friendly to keeping big teams in it. And the la- right. like the ladder the ladder up the pyramid just gets narrower and narrower right. as the years go by. Right. Yeah, that's kind of where I wanted to go, I guess, as we're like nearing the end of the podcast. It's just like, where do we go next? Because all of these teams are still just as unhappy as they were before the Super League announcement, right? Like, nothing yeah. has so changed the- for them, and they're in massive debt, and, you know, what are they going to do now? Right, so there's a couple of different, like, sort of 
blueprints yeah. for some of these teams. Yeah. The, some teams wanted to do this to increase their revenue. Some mm. teams like hopped on board because they didn't want to get left behind. Mm. Some teams need the money, right? right? Those are three different groups. Right. Um, like it's not clear that Liverpool need a cold, cold hard cash infusion right yeah. now right. to keep, keep their club afloat. It's not clear that Barcelona don't need that. Right? Like, right. Th- th- these are teams in different economic areas, and we're really not sure who's who here. But it's I also think- the uh, the other side of that is Liverpool might feel like they need the cash infusion to compete with Manchester City every year. Yeah, that's true. But like for them, so like maybe what happens is like they have a couple of down years, right? Like right, right, right. They, they ha- it is an issue that like you know it's an issue in a couple of ways. Like they were looking to buy players. They were also like you know if if you talk to people who report on the club, I think one thing that they sort of the way they had planned out the team for the next several years is like, well, at this point, okay, we sell one of our big stars to Mm -hmm. Real Madrid or whoever, Mm -hmm. get a lot of money Mm -hmm. and use that to turn the talent of the team over and reinforce the areas that are getting old. Well, if Real Madrid don't have the money, now Liverpool can't do that. And that has repercussions. So there are going to be a lot of repercussions in the transfer market in the immediate sense. Right, right, right. Um, I think that, it is possible that like UEFA will arrange a loan of some sort of the variety that um, the Super League was was looking into. Right. That that there that has been reported as something that may be on the table. Um, again, it's not clear which teams really need it, which teams want it, and which teams don't even want it. Right? Like, right. But so that's part of it. I, I do think the most likely path is the sort of slow evolution of the champions league to you know be more friendly even more friendly to to big teams Mm -hmm. the continued dominance of the premier league which is clearly the most resilient economic league that we have right now whose rights go for more than you know and like a little bit of a shift where barcelona and real madrid especially if messi lose barcelona are somewhat less powerful competitively as clubs psg is somewhat more powerful competitively as club um, you know, and and a lot of these middle clubs are in trouble, right? And but they were going to be in trouble either way, yeah. which means that, like, yeah, I, I mean, I think that there's a lot of uncertainty, even apart from the Super League and the Super League, the attempt and failure. If you are a big club that doesn't that didn't want to spend money anyway, you're just going to tell your fans, "Look, we tried to do a super league so we could spend money for you, yeah. and now we can't." And and if that's the case, then it's going to lead to more tension between owners and, and fans. But right. at the same time, like these owners show no inclination that they want to leave, and right. like kind of why would they? Right. Right. Yeah, because they're making money hand over fist just by being in the Premier League. <laughs> That's especially for these Premier League clubs. They yeah. are they are profitable enterprises, right? And the owners want to own them because they are profitable is not the right word. Valuable is the right word valuable, because some of right. them are like pretty close cash, like, yeah, yeah. Like sort of revenue and expenditure wise. But right. they're all, they've all been increasing in value. So like you know they don't particularly care if the fans hate them. Right. Like it doesn't matter to them. Right. Like Cronky doesn't care. Mike Ashley no. doesn't care. Like the Mike Ashley's a great example. He doesn't care and he's like not part of these super rich ones, right? Yeah, like, he just wants to finish seventeenth every year and he's good to go. That is the most successful outcome for Newcastle, clearly what as yeah. in in his opinion. Yeah. Right. And then yeah, the thing with the domestic leagues also is that like you're saying, the middle the middle tier teams are in trouble either way. If the Super League went through the they don't. Get, I mean, that the entire stra- domestic yeah. league would just fall apart. Probably, they would get strangled out of existence. In and a lot then of real ways. the status quo—they're just getting further and further from the big clubs, as is. You know, it's in England. That's not necessarily the case. Well, yeah, not this season, especially. But, yeah, yeah, and just in general, because the the, the TV rights are so big that, that yeah. they've given them a lot of cushion. Yeah, but like the problem in in Spain and in Italy and in France is a year without fans has just crushed the finances of these mm. middle these middle class teams mm. who really rely on game day revenue a lot more uh, as, for a lot more of a percentage of their budget right and like you know the, you know they are uh, many you know we saw like Schalke in Germany just totally imploded um 
Right. You look at France, Lille is having one of their best seasons in a generation and also may have to sell two-thirds of their players at the end of the season because they just can't afford – like they can barely afford to be a club right now. And yeah. so there, there there does need to be some form of bridge financing, I think, yeah. to like sort of get Europe over the hump. Um, that just so, the, like the Super League, no matter what they said, was not that, right? Like it yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah. that. But um, so are you basically saying like – if the COVID season hadn't happened, do you think the teams would have still been on track to propose some sort of Super League? Or did the COVID yes. season no, so, so ex- I just think, accelerate it? Yeah, that, 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 that is, I, I think, sort of what this comes down to, right? Yeah. Which is that all of these teams have wanted a bigger slice of the pie mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. And sort of like every time the window comes up to renegotiate UEFA TV rights, they like threaten to leave if changes aren't made. Right. But they've never been like super serious about it before. Right. And I think what happens is because of the year of COVID, because it, finances really are more difficult than they have been, um, what you see is there was more of a willingness to try to push this through now right. Right. because of it. Um, it doesn't, but like the fact that it failed and that COVID will eventually be in a rearview mirror doesn't mean that the pressures that existed before it that were pushing us in this direction right. are gone. They're right. still there. They're still but there. I do really think that, yes, a big part of the inciting incident was the last year. Right. Makes sense. I mean, once, like, they've been invincible for so long and they tasted mortality with the COVID yeah, season right. and they're like, this can't ever happen again. I mean, that is exactly right, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. you know, it is. As I was saying, it's a little bit hard to tell who is like, oh, my God, COVID almost destroyed this club. Yeah. And who is like, oh, my God, COVID almost made us not turn a profit for two years. Right. Right. right? And there's like a, there is a big difference between those two ideas. Big and, difference. But it is not clear which clubs fall in which category. But yes, both of those things kind of were going on here. And uh, since all of these billionaires are like meeting in secret, it's, you know, like Perez can be like. He can essentially like fear monger the other owners to be like, look right. what's happening to us, and we're right. Real yeah. Madrid, you know. You know, so. and Real Madrid is 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 on the one hand saying that like we're going to fail, and on yeah. the other hand saying we're going to buy Erling Holland, right. and like exactly. you cannot have it both ways. But yeah. like that is what Perez does. Florentino yeah. Perez wants to have it both ways, and everybody listens to Florentino Perez. So. Oh boy, a lot of action, a <laughs> lot of action. So I'm gonna read the club. I guess I'll try and follow up. I'll follow your tweets and all that stuff. Where can people read your work, hear you speak, so sure. follow you on social um, media, all that stuff? Yeah, I'm at uh, the M underscore L underscore underscore G on Twitter. Um, most of my work now is there's the podcast, Double Pivot Podcast with me and Michael Kelly. You can find us on Patreon um, and, you know, wherever you get your podcasts. And then, like, I'm at CBS Soccer, where I do a little bit of writing, but mostly I'm doing a lot of editing, and we've got a great team there. Um, we cover the Champions League really extensively because, like, we have the rights to it. So, yeah. like, ha, this was – let me tell you, apart from – for me personally as the protagonist of reality, it was a very stressful couple of days. Jeez. Yeah. Um, the semifinal wasn't enough work. Here's yeah, the Super right. League. Yeah. I mean, it, ultimately it ended in the Goodman sweet spot, which was, like – there was a ton of interest in the story, so we got a ton of traffic for people yeah. wanting to read about it, and also yeah. our rights are are still very valuable. So, like, there there's go. still a reason for me to be employed there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you can find. Like, I'm real proud of the work we're doing at CBSSports.com, um, and Great. like, lots of writers doing lots of good work. Thank you so much for coming on. Glad we were able to do this. Me. Yeah, I appreciate my it. Pleasure. Check us out fmlpl.com. Follow us on Twitter at fmlpl. Support us patreon.com slash fmlpl. Subscribe, rate, review, and cheers. Podcast Network.